Hello and welcome to the BNP Paribas Markets 360 podcast. We cover the topics that matter from the global economy to market strategy. Hello and welcome. I'm Trevor Allen, Head of Sustainability Research for Markets 360, and I'm joined by Spiros Andriopoulos, Senior European Economist. Today we will be discussing how the transition to net zero could impact inflation. It's Monday morning in London on the 5th of September, 2022. Spiros, this year's hot and dry summer has given us a taste of the effects of climate change. What does the transition to net zero imply for inflation? Taking a long view, Trevor, we would expect the transition to net zero emissions to contribute to inflationary pressures. Why is that? Well, to achieve the transition requires an ambitious policy package with four pillars. First, we need to increase the price of carbon emissions. This essentially boils down to an increase in carbon taxation. Second, we need a green investment push. For example, improve our electricity grid, invest in the energy efficiency of our buildings, and so on. Third, we also need to make sure that we maintain the social fairness of the transition, which means recycling the proceeds of the carbon tax I mentioned back to the private sector, particularly those with lower incomes. And fourth, subsidize green research and development, green R&D. If you put all that together, higher carbon taxation will raise prices, recycling the tax intake will maintain demand, and the green investment drive will add to demand. Now, the impact on supply is more ambiguous. Raising taxes in the near term could be bad for supply, but we should also have a positive impact on productivity eventually. We will be subsidizing green R&D, and the higher price of carbon stimulates green innovation. In short, higher taxes, higher demand will make for more inflationary pressures. These could be alleviated if we can stimulate supply as well. And timing, of course, is going to be key? Absolutely. We are already late in reducing carbon emissions. If we delay the transition further, it will be far worse and then we would have to increase the price of carbon dramatically in a short period of time. This is sometimes called a disorderly transition. The end result of such a disorderly transition would probably be a multi-year period of stagflation. It's interesting that you mentioned stagflation. Isn't Europe already in stagflation? That's absolutely right, Trevor. Europe is experiencing stagflation right now because following Russia's invasion of Ukraine, it has to wean itself off its hydrocarbon dependence in a hurry. Essentially, Europe is already facing a disorderly transition. In this sense, the situation in Europe is a cautionary tale of what might happen elsewhere if the transition out of hydrocarbons is delayed for too long. But there's a silver lining here for Europe as well. And what's that? If, with the war as a catalyst, Europe manages to wean itself off fossil fuels sufficiently over the coming years, it will not have to face possibly a lot worse stagflation later on. Spiros, you said the transition to net zero could be inflationary and possibly even result in stagflation. Why don't we just forget about net zero altogether? Then we won't have inflation or stagflation, right? 
unfortunately, that's not an option. First off, it would be catastrophic for the planet. The science on climate change is clear. A warming of three degrees or more would probably make vast swaths of the planet unlivable for humans. Second, and on the topic of inflation, climate change itself is inflationary. Take the summer, for example, with its extreme heat and drought. The weather is a major driver of inflation at the moment. We in the rich northern hemisphere have only now woken up to this. But people in emerging markets economies have known about this for a long time. And it will only get worse as temperatures rise to the, due to the continued accumulation of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. Finally, it's important that we get the causality right. The reason that the carbon transition will contribute to inflation is because we are already late and stagflation may only arise if we delay the transition even further. Remember, the later we start, the more and the faster we have to increase the price of carbon if we want to achieve net zero. The worse will be the consequences in terms of inflation or stagflation. Trevor, do higher electricity prices put the EU's emissions targets in jeopardy of not being met? I think it is too soon to say. As a reminder, the goal for the EU is to reduce emissions by at least 55% by the end of 2030. But it's certainly going to be more of a challenge as we think utilities will increasingly use more coal to generate electricity. Gas-generated electricity has two distinct advantages over coal. One, it is more efficient at coal than generating electricity. And two, natural gas produces around half of the emissions when compared with coal. So it really was a win-win last decade for EU countries benefiting from cheaper electricity and fewer greenhouse gas emissions. However, as gas prices in the EU increased tenfold from historical averages, it became more profitable to generate electricity from coal recently. In the previous decade, most of the emissions reductions in the EU came in the second part of the decade, and this is likely the path the EU is on once again. The difference this time is that the EU needs to allocate more capital to renewable energy development in order to achieve their 2030 goal. It won't be as straightforward as last decade when the EU reduced coal consumption in favor of natural gas consumption. So Trevor, we know the increasing renewables development is essential to achieving the EU's 2030 emissions goals, but can renewables also help to reduce electricity costs over time? Yes, and this is really the key catalyst for change to the EU energy mix now. Renewables can help in three ways. First, the cost to generate electricity from solar and onshore wind are cheaper than the cost to generate electricity from coal and from gas when looking at the entire life cycle of a plant. This creates the possibility for both lower cost to consumers and higher return for investors. Second, solar and wind do not rely on the consumption of commodities to generate electricity. There is no feedstock fuel. This means that electricity producers generating from renewables will be more insulated from supply or demand shocks in fossil fuels. Solar and wind do, however, suffer from intermittency. For example, cloudy days could mean less supply from solar, and less supply could mean higher costs, so it is not a perfect solution yet. However, that does lead us to our third point, batteries. The development of utility-scale batteries will allow producers to store electricity during periods of low demand and deliver that electricity a few hours later as demand increases. It should be noted that this is a longer-term solution 
and we do not expect utility-scale battery storage to come online in mass until later in this decade. One additional risk to, to note here is that 80% of the world's solar panels are manufactured in China. So if China faces supply or production constraints, this could increase the cost of solar energy development in the EU and potentially slow the transition. Does this mean that the EU could move away from fossil fuel consumption altogether as batteries come online? No, our view is that the EU will still need a mix of gas and nuclear generation for the far foreseeable future. Even with battery storage, the potential intermittency of solar and wind-generated electricity can create shortfalls or imbalances in the grid, so it will be critical to have on-demand sources such as nuclear and gas. This is further reinforced by the inclusion of nuclear and gas-generated electricity in the EU taxonomy as transition fuels. It also means we are likely to see continued investment in LNG terminals and nuclear fuel production alongside investments in solar and wind, with the emphasis overall tilted towards the development of renewables. But the key here is we should expect the EU to develop an energy stack that is robust and less subject to volatile swings in underlying commodity prices. Thank you, Spiros, for joining me. You gave us a lot to think about. And thank you to our listeners. We look forward to welcoming you again soon. This communication does not constitute research, a recommendation, or any form of advice from BMP Paribas or its affiliates. It does not consider your financial circumstances or objectives, and it may not be suitable for you. It should not be copied or reproduced in whole or in part. 